Hey, welcome to Richie's in lovely Marietta, California, off the 15 freeway. I'm excited today. I actually used to live nearby here. And if you're ever in the mood for a little poker, Lake Elsinore Card Room right down the street, followed by Richie's for a great American meal and an ice cream shake or anything else you want. But hey, I'm here today to talk to my good friend Brian Johnston. I actually met him up the road when he was pastoring a church and uh, we were living in this area. Crazy, crazy story uh, that he's going to share for the first time um, with all of you because this is called Open 24-7 and that's what you're going to get. Brian Johnson back in our old stomping grounds. Marietta. So you remember when we first met? I do. We met in Lake Elsinore at a skate rink for the grand opening of Tide's Church. And what were you doing there? Tell me just a little bit about, you know, prior to that point. Yeah. I, I remember I just moved to this town a week prior and saw there was a grand opening for a church. Snow in Lake Elsinore. I know, snow. Saw your ugly mug as soon as I walked in and your, and your kid. So yeah. how did you get there? Well, we, we were in uh, Cyprus in the Orange County area, and I was working as a youth pastor. And I just got a call one day to plant a church. And it was really on my heart. It was one of the things I wanted to do all my life. And so opportunity came up. We took it. Moved out to Lake Elsinore. It kind of felt like the Beverly Hillbillies in reverse. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we could do a whole other video on Lake Elsinore. But yeah, <laughs> but what, what happened specifically this experience in one October that, that you'll never forget? Well, we were, we were growing uh, fast as a church. I mean, faster than I think we had anticipated. And so we, we moved seven times in a span of three years. And this latest move that we made from an elementary school into a high school cafeteria. But one of the things that we had to do was create a stage environment. So we got online and ordered a bunch of staging equipment and it was delivered a couple weeks later and the truck showed up. The driver asked me if I'd help him get it out of the truck and I, I don't have any, any uh, moving experience per se. And so he just kind of showed me where to stand and where to go and I jumped in the truck and, and when I got in, he loosened the load and the next thing I heard was, you know, watch out. And I looked up and, and about 2,000 pounds of staging equipment fell right on top of me and, and my neck broke instantly and all the feeling went away and I was crushed underneath the staging and, and it, it, it really uh, seemed that at 33 years old, uh, married five years, two children, a two-year-old and a 10-day-old, that that was it. I was going to leave my wife uh, as a widow in this situation. Pretty scary. So yeah, I remember the life flight you to some hospital. I remember getting there, you know, yep. a couple of days later, you had this crazy thing all on your neck and crazier stories, 40 days later, you walk out of that place. That's right, 33 years old, 40 days, 40 nights. Yeah, and there's lots more, you know, there I'll is. put a link to that whole story because I think it's, it's amazing. But so you get out, you go back to church because that's your job yep. and everything you know. You don't really ever recover no. fully, although no. you can walk. Yeah. So you're golfing in Orange County. You got a staff meeting for your church waiting for you. You decide to stick around. What happens? Um, 
yeah, uh, I stick around and decide I'm gonna have a, a couple of drinks and just hang out at the bar. Um, figure I'm out of town and I don't know anybody, and, and so drove home to where the staff meeting was, and I had forgotten that we had a staff meeting. And when I got there, uh, everybody was there, and I, I uh, stopped in time and reversed and went somewhere else. Came up with a good, good excuse why I wasn't there. So, obviously, I mean, you tried alcohol prior to that, but you've got this. Your body's still in pain. You're trying to get back into this job. I mean, you've got all the, I guess, a good enough excuse. Yeah. But how long is that going for? And then what else does it involve besides alcohol? Well, uh, very early on, they put me on some pretty heavy, heavy drugs. But you can't help uh, but start to manage this, um, you know, brew that's kind of been put in front of you. And 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 there's no, at that point, there's no uh, sneaking around or or guilt because it's all prescribed. And so you you go down that road. And for somebody who's inexperienced and doesn't, uh, you know, has has no prior um, exposure to prescription drugs, you think you're doing the right thing. So between uh, um, prescription drugs and discovering on a, on a vacation uh, that when you mix the two of them, it, it creates something completely different and lasts longer. You just kind of fall into a into a pattern or into a, a rut, I guess, if you will. And there's no viable or feasible way out on your own. Uh, the best that you can do is really just try to keep it under control and out of the public eye. And so you did a good job, you think. <laughs> you know, I mean, you obviously moved from this church. You guys moved Idaho. Yeah. You know, you told me you're gonna pastor this new church but deep down inside, you're still, you're drinking, you're even using more and more drugs, yeah. you know, that are prescribed, but. Mm -hmm. So I guess, how bad did it get? You know, let's, let's go to this past Christmas. Like, mm -hmm. you know, eight years of this. Where were you at when your wife called me? Not in a good place. You know, a lot of people claim to be functioning alcoholics or functioning addicts. And I would say that I certainly fell within that mode. And, and because I had had such a traumatic accident, you know, nobody really was the wiser and nobody, you know, really looked at me with a second glance. There was just, um, you know, an expectation that, that I was different and there was a compassion that was given to me that, that kind of enabled me to continue on and in that in that behavior and your wife calls me and says you know I mean you're drinking every day for some reason she says you can pull it together on Sunday morning hmm. but the rest of the week nobody knows you know misusing some of the prescribed drugs she just said yeah I have no one else to call she didn't want me to tell you she called me so I texted you and I said, Brian, meet me in Vegas, which people watching this are gonna go, how, why, why would you ever think? And I've never done an intervention in my life, but I had no idea. I mean, I thought this is gonna be easy. I thought like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. Hmm. You jumped right on that. Hey, 
Sure, I'll meet you in Vegas. Had you had any clue, like, what was coming until you got on that plane? Did you just think we were hanging out? This was a week before Christmas. Well, why wouldn't I think we were just hanging out? You're my buddy, you know? Want to spend time with me? Little did I know, there was a whole conspiracy plan. But I'm grateful for it. So now, so we sit in Vegas, and uh, I remember you said to me, your wife's Deborah. She said uh, to you when you got on the plane, hmm. I told Craig, and you know, have a good time, kind of thing. I mean, you beat me there by an hour, but you're so far gone. We're at this diner, and I said, Brian, you know why we're here. And you said, yeah, 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 but let's get that, let's let's deal with that tomorrow. Mm. It's always tomorrow, isn't it? And, uh, so what happened? Uh, I, I got there an hour before you and, and checked into the hotel and raided the minibar and, and uh, headed downstairs and started just kind of mingling with the other patrons. And, and I, I knew you were on your way. Um, and I knew that, you know, just like any other day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a, a functioning addict. So yeah, that night, actually, you know, once again, I, I might rethink doing interventions in Vegas, but you know, I, I couldn't keep up. I had to go to bed. You never came home. <laughs> and I realized that morning, like, you needed help. You needed to go to rehab. It's a week before Christmas. Like, how in the world? Like, how do people get to rehab? You know, that, so I'm called. I, I watch enough TMZ to know there's a place called Betty Ford Clinic. It's in the desert. I knew nothing really about it. I called them. They said, if you can get them here, we can take them. So I called your wife and I just said, hey, we gotta get Brian to Palm Springs. Come down here and help me. I didn't tell you any of this. No. How did you end up in Palm Springs the next day? I got a text from my wife saying, can you come back to the room? Craig and I wanna talk to you. And I'm looking at my phone thinking, what do you, what do you mean you're in Vegas? No, you're in Idaho. Craig's here. But, yeah, and, and even at this point, I'm not really putting together the story uh, because I'm, you know, not, not in a good place. And so I text back and, and so, you know, what, what do you mean? And, and she says, well, I'm here in, Lake, in, in Las Vegas. And Craig and I are together and we'd like you to come back to the hotel. We want to talk. And at that point, you know, I put two and two together and, and, uh, and I knew that, that I had been uh, duped. Come hell or high water, I wasn't going back to the room. No. All different kinds of scenarios uh, ran through my head. I was gonna go to the airport and fly away somewhere and show you. I have all the text messages. <laughs> I think there's one with the middle finger that says, I'm on a flight already. And I said, no, that's the Aria Hotel. <laughs> so it took you till five in the morning to finally give in and 
I remember you sitting in a bathtub and you and I screaming at each other. But man, you agreed to go. Didn't mean you were going to stay. But dude, probably the proudest night of my life. So you as a pastor, you have Christmas Eve service, you've got two kids at home, and you have this persona to live up to. No one's going to believe that you checked into rehab. I mean, what are people going to think? I mean, all those thoughts. And I was just like, me and Deborah, just praying, going, if he just stays, if we just get him in there. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't let us force you in there. You had to sign, and you had to pay for it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, this isn't cheap, you know. No. Um, but what was the hardest, hardest thing you had to do in, in rehab? The hardest thing that I had to do was to, to face myself, to face what I had become, and to stop blaming everyone else for the place that I was in, and to take ownership for myself. So, I mean, we skip over that. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a life-changing experience. You know, you guys go back to Idaho, church you don't know if you got your job back or not I remember I was in the airport in Seattle and you texted me and there was a word document attached and you said this is my plan yep. that the church has given me if I want my job back yeah I mean I, I cringed looking at it because <laughs> there's no way I know I could do it <laughs> and there's no way I thought you could do it but I remember I said, I, I don't know if you have a choice. It was like a six month. I mean, so tell me, you get home, you obviously you don't think everything's going to be great. Right. You're going to walk right back into this. But you have any clue what was waiting for you when you, when you got out? No. No, not. I think when we were driving down to Betty Ford, I think I had mentioned to you that, you know, it, it's, not, it's never going to be the same. Um, you know, walking back into, you know, the position of senior pastor after going through so much struggle, um, you know, wasn't going to be easy, but, but I guess maybe I had thoughts of, uh, after I came home from the hospital that I would be welcomed back because of what I had achieved, you know, the first time. And so... I think I, I felt that the decisions that we had made together to get help, um, you know, would be would be welcomed and and uh, and while they were, uh, it didn't excuse the fact that man, there was some restoration that needed to happen in my life. There was some health that needed to be. Uh, injected into my life. You got the job back, in a sense, you, but you just resigned, saying, hey, I, I think there's something else for me. What, sure. what do you think's next? The sky's the limit. I've always, always, always wanted to uh, be able to travel and, and use the gifts that God's given me 
to speak into the hearts and lives of people all over the world who are struggling with some of the same things that I've gone through over the last 10 years. And if my experiences can make a difference in someone else's life or in someone else's marriage or in someone else's children, then I believe that God's got a lot of divine appointments out there that have not yet been met that I want to run to. And to be an open book, people yeah. can ask me anything they want. Yeah. And I, I, I'll be 100% honest. Dude, it's awesome. <laughs> Lots more we can catch up on, but you got one question now. I asked you a lot. You got one to end it. You know, Craig, <clears throat> you, uh, we've been to a lot of porn debates and whatnot with Ron Jeremy. And one of the questions that you always ask him at the end is, if your daughter, if you had a daughter, asking Ron, if you had a daughter and she wanted to get into the porn business, would you be okay with that? And, you know, he comes up with all different kinds of excuses and tries to be funny and all that. But I guess my question to you is, uh, and you have a daughter, if Elise wanted to take over this ministry, be exposed to the types of things that you've been exposed to. Uh, how would you feel about that? <laughs> Never did I think. <laughs> I'm always thrown for a loop on the questions. <laughs> like what? <laughs> That's one I've never even thought of. Yeah. Heard. It's good. Well. So what's the answer? Well, Elise has two options for men she can marry: Bryson or Caden. So. Like that. You know, either My two boys. younger or older, so we'll see. Um, I wouldn't be worried about the exposure to the things. Sure. I do feel like any woman that works with our ministry or is around this, I say to guys, you don't, you'll be scared to date. Because I mean, how many women do we know that's like they're blindsided now with the husband? Right. You know, or the, and I'm not saying this is just a guy problem, but I, I feel like it could protect her in so many ways. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like this ministry, in a sense, has protected me. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I say it's been that extra layer of protection to keep me out of trouble. Sure. Like, in the day and age where we're headed, I think more and more women are going to be needed to step up to to talk about these things. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess time will tell, but yeah, it'd be, I wouldn't be scared. I guess you know me enough to know I'm not fearful of, of much, but then again, who knows what our kids are going to do. But. Yeah, I think she'd be great at it. Yeah, but hey, thanks so much, man, for just, dude, doing this, living this, not just, I mean, yeah, we haven't talked about this in person. I mean, this is all real, and then when I said, Hey, do this video. I know it's got to be scary to put this out, to, yeah. but I think what comes through is powerful. Because, dude, it's saved your life, it saved your family's life, and many lives that are going to be impacted because of those choices. So, proud, man. Proud of you. Well, for somebody, for somebody who doesn't know how to do an intervention, I think you did a great job. And, hey. One for one? <laughs> I'm yeah, just well, never doing that again no, in my life. I just want to thank you changed my life. <laughs>